0: You're listening to The Nature Photography Show. In this episode, I interview Courtney Victoria. Well, tonight I have with me a very special guest, Courtney Victoria. How are you doing, Courtney?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Um, I had a pretty good walk uh, walk in the woodland today in some torrential rain. So uh, it's nice to be inside and warm and dry. (laughs)
0: Well, from what I've seen on pretty much every video, it, it's going to be raining at some point in the video. So it makes sense that you were out in the rain today. Yes. <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, I have a day job. So I spent all of my day inside uh, with a non-working AC in Florida. So it was not good.
1: Oh, dear. Is it yeah. is it quite hot there?
0: Yes. Experiment. Yeah. It's pretty much always hot where we are. It, it cools wow. off for a day or two a year but mostly it's uh, 85 Fahrenheit, uh, 90 degrees right now, and we haven't gotten even close to summer, so. Wow,
1: well, you could do with some of our rain then.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be awesome. All right, well, you know, I I met you virtually online just because I stumbled across your YouTube channel and thought, well, this is very different from what I'm used to. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the industry joke right now is, It's middle-aged British guys is what most people watch. So when I came across a lady, a British lady, I was like, oh my goodness, this is very different already. And then you have a bit of a quirky personality and I think it's amazing. (laughs) Yes.
1: um, I've been told this a lot throughout my life that I'm a little (laughs) different occasionally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. So how did you get into photography to begin with?
1: So I was introduced to photography at university, Uh, so when I was around 17 or 18 years old, I was studying fine art and sonography and theatre design. So my dream at the time was to work on film and theatre sets as a costume designer. And I've always been drawn to anything and everything creative, anything hands-on, painting, drawing, writing, acting... And so I was really excited when, as part of my fine art course, I was introduced to film photography. Now, I had no photography experience. I had no idea how to use a camera. I didn't own one myself. But I remember being told to go and shoot a roll of film. So I borrowed somebody else's camera, just went and took some random photos and developed them. And I absolutely fell in love with the process. And it just snowballed from there. So... (laughs) Uh, photography was mostly a hobby for quite a few years and I don't think I poured a lot of time into it until about 2019 uh, where I thought hey I actually want to learn how to take good pictures <laughs> so I started to take it a little more seriously
0: well how did the how did the YouTube come about with that I mean you know photography I understand um for me, I, I did the same thing. I, I developed black and white film in college, and it was great. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not developing in black and white anymore, but that's that's uh, <laughs> another podcast altogether. But what what was it about YouTube? How did you decide to get into? You know what? I'm going to videotape myself doing this.
1: So YouTube actually started off uh, with something completely different. I was living in South Korea at the time, as I had taught English as a second language out there. And I lived in the most rural province that you could live in, in South Korea. It was literally in the middle of nowhere. And it, there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of information about rural Korea, uh, what it's like to live there online. So I started to document uh, my travel around South Korea And my experience sort of living in that type of place in hope that other people would find it and feel more confident and prepared if they were moving to such a place themselves. And I realized very quickly that I really enjoyed video creation. But unfortunately, when the COVID pandemic hit, Mm. I had to make the decision to leave South Korea and my job. And so I realized, well, I can't really make videos about living in Korea when I don't live in Korea any longer. So I thought, <laughs> hey, let's merge this with uh, my photography, as that's when I was really actively trying to improve and practice my photography and just see what happens. So I did. And I found that there was a great photography community on YouTube and A lot of other photographers in the same position as me trying to improve their skills and build confidence and find a way to put themselves out there. And here we are now.
0: (laughs) That's a very uh, wayward way to find yourself a YouTube photographer, but I think that's that's pretty awesome. (laughs) South Korea, uh, that's such a faraway idea to me. I've got a friend that that spent some time in South Korea, but the idea of being out way out in the rural area and not really knowing. what to expect. I can understand Mm -hmm. how, how uh, you would want to help somebody else do that. But then, like you said, the pandemic hit, you come back and you're doing photography. And now you've decided that you're going to make a YouTube channel. And that YouTube channel has 19,000 subscribers. How quickly did that happen?
1: Um, Oh, I'd say in the past year, it's um, my channel has grown quite a bit. So I'd say this time last year, I was probably on about I'd say four or 5,000 subscribers um, off the top wow. of my head. So I would say the second half of last year, it really began to gain some attention, which uh, was quite exciting. But I remember hitting about 10,000 subscribers in autumn, so around September, October. And I had this brief panic because <laughs> if you think of 10,000 people in a room watching you, <laughs> yes. it's absolutely terrifying. So I had this you know, a couple of weeks of, oh my gosh, you know, this is crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's got to be, it's kind of weird. And I, yeah, I have, I have, I mean, for me personally, I've got like 70 on mine. So you can imagine how terrified I am when I speak in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so photography wise, when, when you're, Going? Do you just go do photos now or do you always mix it with doing videos or has the video part of it affected the way that you do your photography?
1: Um, I try and get a mix of both. So I went out today and I didn't take my filming stuff with me at all. I just went out to take some photos. Um, I try not to make every photography outing about YouTube and video as well. But I I do really enjoy the video side of it. So I can't help myself. I'll sometimes pop the video camera in my bag as well, thinking that I'm probably not going to use it. But then, hey, all of a sudden I think, no, I really want to share this image with people. And then the filming starts and then that's it. You know, I've got a video (laughs) ready to go. But it's I, I have to sort of detach sometimes the video and the photography. It's very easy to get caught up in the video and the sort of, I need to make a video for YouTube to, you know, further my channel. And when it comes to YouTube, if you want to grow a channel, they say, you know, work on your thumbnails, have an idea in mind already before you even film the video. And that's quite difficult with photography because I can't right. predict what I'm going to photograph when I go out. And so a lot of the time filming can be quite spontaneous.
0: And the, the whole time you're filming, whatever it is you're, photographing, the light's changing, everything's changing. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to work backwards. Um, The photography comes first absolutely every single time. So I'll grab the image and then I will hit the record button on the the camera and I'll talk about what I've just done, what I'm doing, the composition. And then it must look, look absolutely bizarre to anybody watching me. I'll then pack everything away and then film all of the filler footage of me getting the camera out the bag setting it up on the tripod and you know I yeah a very backwards way of working but it just makes sure that I get the photo first as if there are no photos then there's no video it's
0: the magic of film you get to do all that stuff after right
1: yeah exactly
0: sometimes when I'm watching your videos, you'll have the camera pointed a certain direction and you'll be setting up to take the photo. And I'm like, what in the world is she taking the photo of? And then you'll show the, the photos afterwards. And I'm thinking, first of all, how did you find that composition in what you were looking at? And, you know, what are the ideas of photography is that it's making order out of chaos and your, your composition is exceptional. Do you, think that that helped because of the fine art training? Or is that something you've always had? Have you always had an eye for composition? And
1: um Well, thank you for mm-hmm. <laughs> complimenting my composition. Composition isn't always easy. I think it's one of those things yeah. that all photographers will say that they want to work on in their photography. And nature can be overwhelming. Sometimes it's not easy to success- successfully find and photograph a coherent composition that conveys sort of your artistic vision to those you know viewing your images. Um, so yeah, I would say that simplifying a scene and learning how to use composition techniques effectively is a developed skill. I think through doing fine art and design sort of before getting into photography, just through painting and drawing, I had already developed an understanding of color and light space and of basic composition. Um, I think photographers can learn a lot from paintings and art in general because it it tends to use the same concepts of composition and light, colour balance and isolation, et cetera, to create meaning. Um, But I think with photography, the real learning happens and learning to simplify the chaos of nature happens on location, which is why I love getting out as much as I can and having as much time as possible out in nature with a scene or a subject Um, You can learn so much from books, tutorials, um, you know, listening to other photographers. But I think getting out there and just going for it and trying and uh, sometimes you succeed, sometimes you fail. That's where you really learn and grow and develop in your in your work.
0: That's actually good advice all around. I always say creativity is a muscle. And if you don't use Mm -hmm. it, you're going to lose it. So I yeah. find myself, if I go through long periods of time without taking photographs, that first trip out is is very difficult to get my head in the right space and to be looking at, at what I need to look at. And with photography, I always see it as subtractive versus additive. So like painting, you, as the painter or the drawer, you're deciding what you want to put in the scene. And when you're a photographer, you're deciding what to remove from the scene. But if you can also kind of play on both sides of that, then you can try to figure out what it is about the scene that you like and what it is you want to include in in the photograph.
1: Absolutely. Everything that you put into your photograph or leave out of your photograph is is intentional. And uh, yeah, that's why I think really taking your time on location where possible is quite useful, just sort of looking at your scene and what is working, what isn't working, what you need to eliminate, what's distracting. And some of that happens in post-processing as well. Of course, post-processing right. um, you know, is 50% of the process of creating an image. You know, you can't help all of those twigs that are just scattered around in bizarre places that <laughs> <laughs> you can't really just go and remove them from the scene. <laughs>
0: The post processing is the other half of photography that I've seen a lot of people that had really good eye, really good technical st- skills with a camera, and then they just didn't want to deal with the post processing. So, yeah, you know, that's the other half. And y- your creative vision from what you remember seeing, what you set up, and what you photographed, you just continue that on in the post processing
1: process. Absolutely. It's funny that you say that some photographers just lack the post processing skills. I'd say the editing the post-processing is probably the part that i like the least from Mm. the entire process of photography from sort of scouting to printing um and i'm I'm not sure entirely why that is i tend to go for a very natural edit with my images i don't fiddle too much um but yeah I, i think learning more about sort of i use photoshop so Maybe if I dived deeper into Photoshop, maybe I'd feel a bit more comfortable with it. And maybe I would spend a bit more time editing and, um, you know, really go for it.
0: I don't edit very much at all. I'll take a couple of minutes, usually per photograph, unless it's one that you got to stitch and you've got to do all that kind of stuff. It takes a little bit longer. But all the editing or the finishing, as I like to say, all the finishing that I do for the photograph is generally really light, especially when you compare mm-hmm. to some of the folks that get into the really, really, really heavy editing. Uh, that I, I just don't have the Photoshop skills to do that. I could learn it, but I, I seem to be pretty happy with to do the basics.
1: Yeah, I think that's good, though. I think yeah. finding your own style in photography and editing is is very important.
0: Absolutely. All right, Antarctica. So, I, yes. when I when I would look on YouTube and I would always see you in the, the forests of Britain, and then suddenly one day you show up in Antarctica, those are very <laughs> yeah. different.
1: Very different. Yes, I wouldn't have predicted that one.
0: <laughs> so, what can you tell me about that Antarctica trip?
1: Um, wow, it's one of those experiences that I don't know how to sum up. Um, a lot of people have asked me uh, since returning, and I just really don't know what to say. <laughs> it's It's a location that I hadn't really considered visiting until I was asked to be a part of the photographer team that was going. um, not because I never I didn't want to visit. I just never really thought about it. I mean, Antarctica itself is beautiful. It's so serene. and it's actually very mountainous, which, Sounds bizarre, but I didn't know that. I had this impression that Antarctica was just very flat everywhere, uh, but there are mountains and, and peaks everywhere. It's incredible. And it was good to see that there are a lot of rules and regulations in place for Antarctica tourism to make sure that the landscape and the wildlife is protect- protected, um, although you could argue about the flight emissions to get there. <laughs> uh, it was quite a quite a journey to get down to Argentina before even boarding the boat. Um, But the company we went with was Polar Latitudes. Uh, They have a fantastic team of very knowledgeable uh, biologists, scientists, and they work on sustainable travel by reducing their voyage emissions as much as possible. So that made me feel just slightly better uh, about the trip. But photography in Antarctica, well it took me out of my comfort zone definitely as I say it was just a very very different landscape and style of photography and I don't know if you can fully prepare for photographing such a place really um without having done a couple of trips there before it was challenging but very very very, very thrilling um I would definitely go back and uh, do it again it was much more fast paced than my usual style of photography. So I love to take my time. I'm a tripod photographer. I like to set up. I like to wander around. I like to have as much time as possible on location. But in that sort of setting, you don't have a lot of time to think about what you're doing while there's, you know, a penguin just waddling by or a seal pops up onto an iceberg and then disappears again, or you're you know, zooming around in a zodiac. So It definitely exercised my quick thinking skills. Um, But there's really a lot to photograph there and so many directions that you could take. Even from the boat itself, you could capture landscapes and wildlife images. When you're around cruising, you can get close to icebergs where there's so many shapes and textures for abstract shots and ice patterns on the water. Um, But yeah, it was a few learning curves involved, but a very, very enjoyable journey. Um, but yeah, as I said, I would definitely do it again. Uh, whether I get the chance to do it again, I have no idea. But fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> if you, what was your favorite subject while you were there to photograph? Was it a wildlife or or landscape?
1: I would have to say the wildlife. Surprisingly. Um, I was very torn between landscape and wildlife because the mountains were just as I said they were incredible and you know you've got a impressive mountain in front of you and then you've also got a group of sort of gentoo penguins waddling around it's like oh my gosh what do I look at look at first and so um, I struggled for the first couple of days of you know do I put my attention to the landscape or do I put my attention to the wildlife and I tried to find a balance of both and in some I- images sort of combine them together have some landscaping with the wildlife as well um yeah I'm not much of a wildlife photographer but I surprised myself and uh, I think I got a grew a bit of confidence there so uh <laughs> you never know I could end up in wildlife photography by the end of the year we'll see <laughs> <laughs>
0: is it, where, where you uh, normally hail from in britain is there a lot of wildlife that's around your area there
1: um well we're in the countryside uh cows and sheep in terms of big <laughs> mammals but otherwise as you know I, I haven't done a lot of wildlife before so in terms of bird spotting or whatever i don't really know um in all honesty um actually in our local forest we have deer and boar which um I spot quite often, but you, you know, I'm pretty noisy when I'm walking around in nature. I've got to be honest. I'm usually off in my head daydreaming and not aware of how uh, loud I'm being. So they spot me and see me before I see them and they're, they're gone. So um, whether I have the stealth and patience for wildlife locally, it would be quite interesting to find out. Um, But yeah, it would be something that would be fun to explore more though. The idea, well, it it sort of baffles me how wildlife photographers can just find these birds and these animals and get the amazing pictures that they do. I wouldn't have a clue where to start, really.
0: I've got an acquaintance, uh, Moose Peterson. I've had him on this show before, and he is a world-renowned wildlife photographer And he said that the big key is that you have to be willing to sit in the same spot for 18 hours without moving to wait (laughs) on that one chance. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not going to be me. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of patience. I feel like I've already had to learn a lot of patience for uh, landscape photography. But I think the wildlife photography patience is a whole new level.
0: He goes uh, further, actually, to say that to be a better wildlife photographer, you should be a better biologist. And I I thought that was a a great way to look at it, too, is to learn the animal, learn what they do, how they behave and all that. So you kind of know where to go, where to be for them when they come out. But my goodness, that takes a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of effort and a lot of patience. And I don't know that I have it for any of that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll just go somewhere where there's big animals and and huge swaths of people that are pointing at it. That's that's yeah. find them. <laughs>
1: easy to find.
0: Yeah. Easy to find. All right. So I've mentioned your skill as a photographer a couple of times and you have a great on-screen presence and you're very well spoken. You have any uh, hopes of leading workshops or doing anything like that?
1: Um, yeah, I have been thinking about leading workshops for a while, and I think that is the top question that I have been asked so far this year. Um, <laughs> Excellent. It's definitely something I'd like to do, and we'll probably plan to do in the new future or near future. Um, I'm I'm hesitant for I think as landscape photographers can get a little protective about the places we photograph. And so I'm very, very familiar with my local woodlands and forests. I spend a lot of time there and it would be great to run local workshops there. But I'm very mindful of the chance that taking groups of people to a specific area could eventually cause negative impact to the surrounding nature in some way, especially if, say, you take 10 people and show them an area and then they go away and ten tell 10 people about that spot and then they go and tell 10 people about right. that spot and before you know it 100 people might have visited that area and eventually the area is is ruined so that's something that I have in mind um I'm feeling quite protective about you know the places that I've spent a lot of time finding and photographing so but yeah, I'm, I'm idea, uh, brainstorming ideas for workshops that I'd like to do that maybe don't focus specifically on the location, but rather photographic and creative techniques. But yeah, in the planning stage, but it's one of these things that I, I think too much about it instead of actually doing it. But uh, it would be great to do that sort of thing, especially as I have a background in teaching as well. Um, so I think that's something that I would really enjoy doing.
0: Yeah that's that's interesting. I'm looking forward to see what it is that you decide to do. Have you heard of Nature First? Have you ever heard of that organization?
1: I have, yes.
0: Okay. I was going to say that's a that's a great organization that shares a lot of those ideas uh, about putting nature first and it mm-hmm. might be something you you can incorporate into your workshops. I know I when before COVID I used to run workshops uh, pretty regular you know, a few a year uh, out of state, that kind of stuff. Grand Tetons, Great Basin, Great Smoky Mountains, those kind of places. And I wasn't much on the Nature First at the time, but I always had a long discussion about the ethics, about, you know, leaving the place better than you found it. And so there's a lot of things that you can do. And I think Nature First helps with that just to get everybody thinking about maybe you shouldn't tell that really strange person with a shovel, where to go take <laughs> photographs you know it's that kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay now I I tend to talk a lot about gear uh, I get I get poo-pooed about that ever so often that I talk <laughs> a lot about gear but we're going to talk about the gear that you use because I find yes. it very strange in 2023 now your okay. photographs <laughs> they don't have anything to do with it I mean the kind of gear that you use is is serving you wonderfully from the photographs that we see but what what gear do you typically use
1: i have a nikon d750 and at the end of last year i picked up a nikon d850 uh, so i am on a dslr setup which oh, yeah. people find bizarre
0: <laughs> right I, I mean it's not quite film but it's pretty close <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it's very interesting that people think that because i don't have never thought that myself right. um but it's—I guess—the world is—you know—everyone's switching to the mirrorless systems now. So, you know, DSLR has just taken the back bench, and people claim it's—it's it's dead. Which I don't don't think myself. But I can, yeah. Right. It's, you, in, it's you, an interesting discussion.
0: <laughs> you use the 750 and the 850, so it's definitely not dead. I've been a Nikon <laughs> shooter since uh, early 2000. I went through a period where I decided, hey, I want to go mirrorless. So I sold all my Nikon gear and bought Sony at the time. And that was a mistake Dang. because okay. it just never <laughs> felt like Nikon. It never felt good in the hand. I didn't I mean the the stuff I got from the sensors was great and all that, but I always seemed to have to manipulate it a little bit more in post-processing than what I would normally start with with the Nikons. And then I got disillusioned to it and I decided after uh, getting a blister on my hand from carrying it all day long, that it was time to go back, and so I went back to Nikon and I, I stayed with mirrorless. But I'm mirrorless now. I use the Z nine, and like I said, I like gear, so I, I tend to to buy definitely more than my share of gear. Uh, but there is absolutely at one point I had an eight fifty, and that was the best DSLR that I had ever owned. I had uh, gotten rid of a, a D four to get the eight fifty. And I absolutely loved that camera. And it takes, believe it or not, even in 2023, it still takes photographs that you can't tell any difference from a mirrorless camera.
1: Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a fantastic camera. I mean, I've only had mine for a few months. But yeah, I'm really enjoying using it. It's it's. I think it, it's the camera that I used most when I was in Antarctica. And I really appreciated having it uh, while I was out there. Um, I mean, maybe I'm just sort of, a bit old fashioned here, but <laughs> the D- the 750 doesn't have touchscreen, and so when I got the 850 to begin with, I couldn't even cope with the touch touchscreen on it. I thought, no, I, I have to turn this off, which I thought was quite funny. I thought, how would I how would I deal with a mirrorless system? Um, huh. But now I'm getting used to that, and I can appreciate how the touchscreen actually is is quite useful.
0: Well, with the eight fifty in live view, you get a lot of the benefits of, of most mirrorless so that's that's good that you can you can see that too. and like I said, I love that camera the touchscreen. I still even now with the the big fancy z nine, I don't use the touchscreen. I still use the dials and uh, the rocker switches and all that stuff because i'm I'm really old. that's what it is. okay,
1: interesting. For. now I like the option of dials
0: <laughs> yes, exactly yeah. And you can program them and have them go whatever direction you want, so it's not confusing. It's yeah, I've got to have that tactile feel under my fingers there when i, when yes. I start pushing the screen i have I have big fingers, so whenever I push the screen, I end up pushing the things I don't want to, and I end up in places that I get lost <laughs> it's 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 a mess yeah. so you bought you just bought the d a fifty Do you have any plans to upgrade and well, I guess upgrade might not be the best word. Do you have any plans to go mirrorless at any point?
1: Um, no, not at the moment. I'm quite happy with my setup right now. It works for me uh at some point in the future. yeah, I will probably move on to a mirrorless system, but right now it's it's not on my on my mind at all, you know, and I, I sort of have this mentality that sort of um, the camera is a tool and we all agree on that and sort of the ideas that I have for my images come from me and what I see in my surroundings and so yeah I could switch my camera out to something else but it wouldn't change my ability to photograph nature and landscapes at all and you know I doubt that my photography would be vastly improved in any way at least for landscape photography There might be a few features on sort of the more modern cameras that might aid me in capturing images more efficiently, but um, my current setup isn't limiting my workflow in any way, and so I don't feel the need to switch it out at all. Right,
0: really, when you quote unquote upgrade, you're just giving yourself options because they they all do the same thing. You know, you point it at a scene, you figure out what you want, you set your settings and they all have pretty much the same settings. And you take your photograph and then you you manipulate it or finish it in post-processing. So largely everything's the same. So the more, the fancier cameras, they just give you different options that you might not otherwise have had. And if those options don't jive with the kind of photography that you do, then you don't really need them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all digital cameras at this point are good. That's right. And the only difference between them is aesthetics, ergonomics, and user interface. Otherwise they all, you know, if you had three cameras and, you used all three to take the same shot of whatever you were taking picture of a landscape woodland um your experience using all three of them would be more similar than dissimilar so that's that's right
0: and you print them all out afterwards and you're not going to be able to tell which camera took which photograph
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think this is where i try not to get sort of trapped in the um what's it the gear acquisition syndrome
0: oh yes um, i have that i have that i don't <laughs> i don't want to be cured from it but i have it So but i
1: mean i can see it's almost like uh <laughs> oh i don't know an addiction isn't it because it is. you get a thrill out of having new tech upgrading buying new gear but you also you eventually get used to that gear you know whether it's I mean, you get used to anything, whether a camera works for you or it doesn't, you'll get used to it eventually. And then that feeling, that thrill that you have of buying new tech goes away. And then you think, okay, well, I want to feel that again. So you get stuck (laughs) in that cycle of upgrading in order to feel good about, you know, your camera. But in reality, a camera upgrade or a camera switch isn't that dramatic for most people. It doesn't transform your photography in any magical way.
0: No, I've never once bought a camera and thought, man, my photography is so much better now that I have this new camera. I yeah. usually just, you know, I like the smell of it. It smells great. It's like a new car. <laughs> it, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I call it the the Jekyll and Hyde photography. So you've got Dr. Jekyll, who is the, we'll say the sensitive side that deals with the composition and does all of that. And then you've got the Mr. Hyde, which is the technical uh, mm-hmm. camera acquisition side of photography so you have to find a way that that both can coexist but they're always yeah. at odds with each other it seems like but really oh. when it, it it just comes down to shoot whatever gear makes you happy and gets you the photographs that you want
1: absolutely i mean both the creative and technical side is very important for photography mm-hmm. you need a you know a split of of both um but i get a lot of people Uh, especially now that my youtube channel has grown a bit people emailing me asking me you know i want to take these types of pictures and this type do this type of photography what camera should i use and you know my answer is one that works you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) one that's not got a big hole in it yeah (laughs) and i'm i'm guilty sometimes i'll roll my eyes at people that still the the, you know film's making a resurgence and so when i hear that Mm -hmm. i roll my eyes because i spent hours and hours and hours of my life in a dark room trying to get a photograph to, to work. And I just never want to go back to that again. But if that's what's working for you, then grab that camera and spend that 15 or $20 on a roll of film to get it processed and all that. If that's what you like and that's what you're doing, then have at it.
1: It's it's quite expensive to get film developed. Um I found a bunch of uh undeveloped film the other day in a in a box and I thought, oh, I'll go get those developed. And then I looked at the prices and I thought, oh maybe not. (laughs) I don't (laughs) need to know what's on these. (laughs)
0: That's right. It can just remain a mystery.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we're we're getting close to the end here. What is next for you? What do you plan on doing? I can see that you're going to be doing more YouTube videos and you, we talked a little bit about workshops, but what other plans do you have? What's coming?
1: Well, this is a, a interesting question. It's almost sort of a, I don't know. I'm just sort of going with the flow. So, Oh, thank goodness. I'm, I'm
0: not the only one.
1: <laughs> Does anyone really know what they're doing?
0: <laughs> I don't think so.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, going full time into this only happened at the end of last year so apart from more photography and videos on location, um, of course, we're about to enter spring here, or we're entering spring now. So I'm about to go wild for all the wild garlic and bluebells that are about to come out. But otherwise, I'm sort of taking things sort of day by day, week by week, and just sort of figuring this out, because there's no sort of blueprint of how to be a full time photographer. There's no one way to, to do it. And nobody, you know, tells you how to do it either. So it's very much figure things out um as you go but hopefully some some more traveling this year would be nice i think antarctica may have set the bar a bit too high though so
0: right that's that's pretty uh pretty hard to come down from that high there just yep i just went to antarctica where are we going to go now texas
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) All right. So where could they find out all about you? I, I'll make sure to put these links in the show notes as well. But where do you spend most of your time? Is it Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or I mean, Vero? Mm. I don't know.
1: I would say at the moment, Instagram. Um, I mean, if you want to see me in action, then I'm on YouTube. But in terms of social media, I'm. It, this is a very sort of, it's, this is the one I struggle with because if it wasn't for, social media being such a great way to share your work and sort of network (laughs) and grow as a a creator. I would not be on social media. That's right.
0: I I'm exactly the same way. I, there's just too much of everything on social media. If it wasn't for running a podcast Um, or photo business, then, then I would definitely not be on social media. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, I think a lot of people feel the same way, but it is such a great place to grow, whether you're a musician or photographer or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Instagram, I try and be active on Instagram. Yeah, I have Facebook and Twitter at Courtney Victoria Photography. Uh, I post on these apps when I remember that they exist. (laughs) So um, I'm not consistent, but I try to be.
0: (laughs) Have Have you used Vero very much?
1: I do have Vero. Again, this is the one that I forget exists. Um okay. Yeah. Yes, but I do have Vero. And again, when I remember it's there, I pop uh, okay. on there. And that's a good reminder. Um, thank you very much for reminding me that Vero is yeah. there so I can go into <laughs> it. So and post. we'll see a
0: Vero post on <laughs> the next day I'll or see two. You on Vero. <laughs> All right. Well, Courtney, thank you very much for taking time out of your evening to talk to me and talk to the people that that follow the podcast and I wish you nothing but the best, and I'm looking forward to see what you decide to do with workshops and uh, looking forward to your next video.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: And as always, grab the camera, get off the couch, escape, explore and create.